Welcome to the Chasing Thoughts podcast. Listen in as Mindy, Keith, and their guests take a deep dive into their own minds and souls to investigate the beauty of imperfection, challenge their beliefs, and embrace the richness of living a truly authentic life. Welcome to Chasing Thoughts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of Chasing Thoughts. And Keith and I decided to change the format of Chasing Thoughts a little bit. We were doing a guest every single Friday, which was great, but we felt like we were receiving so much wisdom that we didn't really have time to integrate it and talk about it as much as we wanted to. So we changed the structure so that we have a guest and then we have an episode just to kind of integrate the wisdom, talk about what we learned, and then we have a guest. So today we're going to be sharing what we learned from five guests, I think, that we've had so far. The guests we've had so far. Um, yeah. But first, we're going to start just sharing kind of what we've been nerding out on this week, because we're both nerds, and we love the experience of nerding out on random bits of information. So what have you been nerding out on, Keith? Um, so I, I spent some time diving into this docuseries called Year One Million. Um, it is so freaking cool. So what it does is it basically looks at where we're at today in society. And then, um, each, each episode is like years in the future, a hundred years, a thousand years, a hundred thousand years. And the technology that is coming that they were showing, I was so upset that I am not going to be alive to experience this thing. So it, it goes through beginning to, um, we're like at at the cusp too of some of this stuff. So like the brain implants that they're talking about, um, which is scary right now, but they're they're talking about how like it'll open us up to communicating through telepathy, um, having like nano robots. So like in one of the episodes, they showed this guy he was having a heart attack, and all he did was sat down on his couch for like an hour, and all the nanobots like in his system recognized that his heart was damaged. So like flooded there and then fixed it while he's just like kind of resting and eating some chips or whatever. But it it ends in this thing that I've never heard before called a Dyson sphere. And it's, it's this sphere that will go around the entire earth and the sun. So it'll capture all of the energy from the sun, but there's not enough material on the earth to create this thing. So they would have to first send like robots to all the planets in our solar system that would then build factories to create robots that would then mine those planets away and send the material. So we would lose all the other planets in our, in our solar system, but we would have energy where like life would be completely different as we know it. I mean, just everything is peace. There's no word. Like we have everything that we need. So yeah, it was it was really really incredible. And and then plus watching it while enjoying some cannabis. Um, yeah, it just kind of ups wow. the ante. At how cool it is. Yeah, what's that on? Year one million. What? Uh, it's so it's on the Disney Plus. It, it's with National Geographic. Okay. I'm going to try to check that out because that sounds like something I would love. I love reading like futurist articles and predictions. And 
<clears throat> I know that it's kind of intimidating and scary to think about the future and all this AI and computers. And also we're still humans, right? We're just another form of our evolution and it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And they even get into people that, so like the, the family that they follow, um, the father is not really on board with stuff in the beginning. Um, some of it he is cause he's they like the lifespan is up to like 180 years or something, but, um, he eventually gets there, but you know, so at first they kind of go through the whole struggles that people will have with integrating this technology into life. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to put the link in the show notes too, for anybody who else who's listening to this, thinking about how cool it is. <laughs> oh yeah. It is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this week I found myself going down a rabbit hole uh, learning about Harry Houdini, who everybody's heard that name. But who was this man who lived 100 years ago, who was a freak show, basically, in a time when being a freak was not a very common thing to be, and yet he got famous for it. And so the neat thing is his name wasn't Harry just so everybody knows, his name was Eric, Eric Weiss. <laughs> I never and knew that. I know, isn't that funny? He was That's born crazy. in Budapest, he came to America, his dad was a rabbi. But what I didn't realize is I thought that a lot of the stunts he did were uh, like fixed, right? But they weren't. Like the way he got famous was actually challenging police departments in different cities to lock him up and see if he could get out. And he did, like real locks, real handcuffs. There was this one scenario where this locksmith spent like five years making handcuffs that were like unbreakable or like on, you know, you couldn't get out of them. And then he challenged Houdini to get out of them and Houdini did. So these are real things. And actually after a lot of his stunts, he would break down. Like there's record of him having breakdowns and crying because there was stunts where he barely made it out in time and almost lost his life. And so it was this really cool dude. And the other thing that was fascinating about him is that he was really passionate about the truth. He was like president of the magician society. He would debunk people who were doing like fraudulent magic and call them out. And so he was just this really cool guy. And the more that I kind of thought about it, I thought like how neat that in the early 1900s of America, you know, you had this real rise of this sense of freedom, right? Labor unions were starting. The first suffrage parade was happening. Minimum wage was developed. And then you have this man who was sort of like embodying all that striving for freedom in this weird sort of magical way and yeah. showing up. And it, it's just really cool. So that was my big nerd out. <laughs> that is great. Like, I, I just thought he was just like a magician back then that we would see today. Like the, today they have better, like I get the technology makes it easier. But so he was like doing this stuff for real. Like, I mean, there was, if, if, if his trick didn't work, he was going to die or get seriously hurt. That is crazy. Yeah, he wrote a book where he told some of his secrets. And I think I'm going to uh, go to the library and get it because it sounds really interesting. And he talks about how, like, he would, you know, how he could move his shoulders to get out of straight jackets or how sometimes a shoelace would be able to untie a pair of handcuffs. Like, he had tricks that he used, 
but it wasn't um it wasn't set up in a way that he could get out it wasn't fake it was really him escaping that is so crazy and it's so funny too that you brought him up because i i just saw um sunday is my national geographic day for like when i read and stuff and um they, there was just a random picture of Harry Houdini standing on a dock. I think he was, they were tying him up and he was about to jump in. I don't know if it was the Hudson river or something, but there was all these people that like, and, and they had colorized the image and like all the dress and everything. It was, it was so such a cool picture and just seeing him. And he was like, he kept himself in shape. He must've kept himself in good shape in order to do this stuff. Um, yeah, he wasn't like one of those 1900 strong men that are just uh like, you know, chubby dudes that are that are strong like he was in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, the world is just an endlessly fascinating place and every person's story is just so fascinating, you know? Yeah. It's so cool. so cool to be at consciousness in this human form experiencing the future and the past and everything that we get to nerd out on and experience. Yeah. And that's, that's why I love this, this podcast, like that we're kind of going down that path where we're discovering these people's stories. So somebody that you might just pass in a store. And then when we, you sit down and talk to them and you find out that their story is incredible and amazing. Like it, there's just, that is just such a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel too. And what a gift to spend an hour with someone where their tension isn't divided. We don't have our phones. We don't have distractions and we really get to talk to someone. And I feel like that's becoming more and more rare in normal society. And I just feel so lucky that we get to do that. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, even thinking like, you know, you see all these podcasts like online and everything and they have, you know, big name people and the, the, the little person, you know, gets sort of lost, you know, but that's where so much is found. Even in archaeology, um, they, they have these things called midden pits, like where um, it's basically like a trash pile. And that's what they look for. They look for the little things that then all these little pieces then tell a story of the people. And I feel like that's kind of like what we're doing, like seeing all these, what we would assume like our little stories that just make life that like that much more beautiful that much more exciting you know and surprising so yeah. it's so cool being able to do this and it's kind of like the whole uh you know a bead of a butterfly wings can cause a tsunami on the other side of the world idea there's a great fantasy series um that is called the elderling series by robin hobb where it's all about that idea that if a character goes left instead of right that could change the, the course of history and i yeah, think yeah. often we think oh what i do doesn't matter oh what i do doesn't no it does right we don't have any idea how powerful we are and how the things that we do are impacting everything else around us yeah yeah and it it's it's so amazing. Like if we can look back at some point, you know, maybe like when we die or something, you know, have that chance to look back and see who we've impacted and how, I, I mean, I would just imagine there are ways that we've impacted, like everybody has impacted people 
And, and when we hear about it, we'll be like, seriously, like that made a difference to you or that meant something, you know, it's, it's crazy how much we want other people to think so highly of us, but how little we think of ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's very interesting. So let's talk a little bit about our guests. We'll start with our first guest that we had, Justin Glazier. And my biggest takeaway after really sitting with this for a couple of weeks was that he said he didn't want to write this book, mm. but that this book needed to be written. And so he disciplined himself to sit down an hour a day, five days a week, right, to write it. And I just sat with that for so long because it kind of gave me this idea like we're servants to our dreams or to what needs to, right? Like if a certain course wants, to, if I have the idea to write a course or write a book or apply for this job, I have to be in service to that dream by having the courage to take the actions to make it possible. And he talked about that piece so casually, but it just stuck with me how he was willing to discipline himself to write an hour a day to make it happen. And he wrote it in six months. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. And I think about people, you know, everybody has something that's like in their gut, like, oh, this wants to be born out of me. Right. And most of us just go, ah, oh, I'm not really the right person to do that. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the time. I just, but imagine if everybody in the world was like, oh, I have to be a servant to this. This thing wants to be born through me. I have to discipline myself to do this thing. Whoa. And maybe that's sort of more the utopia we're going to and we don't have to you know, work two jobs to feed our kids. But yeah. cool. That is such a great, a great point too. Um, and it's so, it's so funny because uh, two days ago I was trying to fall asleep and this idea just got in my head and I just kept rolling with it. And um, there's, so there's a thing that I want to do. And Sandy was like, all right, when are you going to start it? And I'm like, um monday because i have like a pool tournament this weekend and stuff and i'm she's like all right make sure that on monday you start this but when i'm but like what i'm fighting with i'm like because my brain is like screaming at me is so i i'm always like i, I always play the fool you know what i mean like I, I i'm always like trying to make people laugh say something stupid like my sister-in-law got so mad at me the um um couple of family gatherings ago because she was um so frustrated because they have like these two dogs that are just nutbags. They're they're so cool, but they're crazy. And she's like, the dogs are being disrespectful. And I started like going off about how it's so wrong that dogs are disrespectful. And you know, and she's like, I know you're making fun of me. And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> you know, but like that's like my thing. So I want to write it in that way. Yes. Um, but then my head is screaming at me like, no, everyone's going to think it's stupid. You're stupid. Like nothing you do is going to make any sense. Um, you're not smart enough. You don't have enough knowledge. You know, who are you to do that? You know, and it's it's intended for the people that can't afford, you know, uh, um, like all the coaching packages that are out there. You know, I'm like, this thing is going to be cheap. So why not just do it the way that I'm going to do it? you know, that I want to do it, that aligns with me. And if that means I write it 
and there's a thousand dumbass jokes in there, then so be it. Yep. You know, and that's like what he did. Like he didn't want to do it. Even like talking about like he he didn't feel like like who was he? He wasn't a doctor or nothing, but he like you said, he disciplined himself to sit down and do it. That is something massive because you have to quiet all those voices that your brain is going to throw at you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the information in his book was also valuable. I have thought a lot about sweating and how to add that into my life and how much it makes sense, right? To sort of run water through your system. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that was really valuable as well. But my biggest takeaway was definitely the discipline piece. Yeah, I think I think from him, uh, what I got was um, how he was having these health issues. And I was waiting for him to talk about like hospitalizations and like these weird disease names. And he was just like, no, it was just fatigue, feeling down, you know, depression, stuff like that. I'm like, so most of what, like things that most people deal with. And he wasn't content with the answers that doctors were giving him. So he decided to sit down and research this and to figure his own way out. And then as I was thinking through all of our guests, I'm like, there's a theme here. Um, and it's something that is very important to me because it's what I decided to do with the PTSD and, and, and the VA, you know? Um, and I think that is so amazing that we live in a day and age where we can just ourselves go online and basically learn like a doctoral, you know, amount of, of education, but we have to know the right information to get, right. you know, which is like, that, that is the most important part. And I think that's the danger of it, but it's so cool that he did that, turn this into this, this book that is going to help so many people. I've already told so many people about it and they're like, really sweating is like that. I'm like, Oh my God, dude. Yes. Like, all that stuff, all the toxins are just inside. It has to get out, you know, wow. and sweating is such a powerful way to do that. I love what you just said. And I hadn't picked that up, but I'm glad you said it because what I heard you say was he wasn't feeling good. Like most of us don't. And he wasn't willing to settle for that. Like that, yeah. that standard of life wasn't good enough. And then he decided, even when doctors said, oh, we don't know. Oh, you just feel like this, that he was going to be the expert on him. Yes. And that he was going to keep searching until he found the answer. And I think more than ever, especially in Western medicine, how important that is because we give our power away to these people who we say, oh, a doctor's smarter than me, or this person's smarter than me. They know and really what we should be looking for is a doctor who respects the fact that I'm the expert on me and what I'm feeling <laughs> and they're supporting me, <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I have a lot of clients actually, I seem to attract people who struggle with you know, chronic uh, illnesses. And that is always something we work on is how do you find the team of wellness professionals that are in service to you Yes. and believe you when you yeah. say that you're experiencing something mentally yeah, there's so emotionally many... or physically right all of it yeah and there's so many stories um of people that have searched for 10 years you know or longer for for an and then finally they're diagnosed with something 
and and just the relief of knowing being able to put a name to the problem is, is incredible um I, I just read about um steve Irwin, his daughter mindy went through like a 10-year battle with with these issues that they could not diagnose and it finally they finally know what it is now they can finally treat it but she had to go through all these doctors and then now but now you hear you have you know um like a famous person you know um being steve's daughter and all that all that she's done and stuff afterwards and pretty well known and and if it's that hard for them how hard is it for you know the people that are working the minimum wage jobs you know that are that are just struggling for day-to-day -day life you know um it could feel it could feel like you're just dismissed yep absolutely i have this really neat story um this was a woman who I went to IPEC with, so coaching school with, and she started having dreams that she had a brain tumor and they were really real, really vivid. And she went to her doctors and said, I think I have a brain tumor. I'm dreaming about it. And of course they're like, you're crazy. Like this isn't your insurance isn't going to pay for it. We don't have any you know, reason to recommend that you get an MRI, all that BS. And she kept going to different doctors and different doctors and kept having the dreams guess what? She had a brain tumor and she saved her own life. Oh my God. Isn't that incredible? That is so all based off of, I can just imagine the doctors, you know, like all this schooling, you know, and stuff. They're like, yeah, we don't diagnose dreams here, you know, just kind of pushing her off to the side. Jeez. Yeah. So if you know something and your gut is telling you something, you do not betray that thing. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you have to keep, cause nobody else is going to do it for you. Yes. You know, I think it's Mel Robbins. Like she always says, like, nobody's coming, you know? And, and unfortunately we're in this day and age where nobody isn't, you know, especially in, in the U S everything is big business. Yeah. So like you had said, like the insurance isn't going to pay for an MRI because you're having a dream. Why, why, why does insurance have to get involved in that? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you're the doctor, I know. you know, but you have now insurance companies making, cause I remember, um, my daughter had this all of a sudden, like one day she just woke up and she was like, I think seven or eight, the back of her legs, it looked like just all cracks and crevices. Like, I mean, it looked like her skin was like 90 years old and we brought her to the doctor and they said it's a, like a form of a staph infection. So they wanted to get her on all this medicine and stuff. We went to the pharmacy to pick it up. And they're like, yeah, insurance company denied half of this stuff. They said, well, they want to try the other. And I'm like, the doctor has, the doctor's seen this. And then somebody on a computer that's reading about it is going to, you know, like, that's not right. Yeah. I think that's one thing we'll see changed in the future. I mentioned to you that I went to a big luncheon and the big keynote speaker was a woman who was a futurist. Her name was April Ryan or April Rennie, I think. She was incredible, but she talked about how America is the only developed nation where healthcare is tied to employment, that it's not that mm -hmm. way anywhere else in the world. And that the data that's coming out of employment now is that it's almost like, I think she said 40 something percent are I-9 versus W-2. So we have more and more people who are working for themselves. And yet we still have this like archaic healthcare system that ties health to a W-2 job. 
And she said that we're going to see a shift in that in the future because we have to, yeah. <laughs> right? Like the way that the world is changing, that'll have to shift. And hopefully, you know, we won't have to wait that long for that to happen because everybody deserves healthcare. Yeah. I just, just the change in it over, over just my lifetime. Like I remember like as a kid and also like as an adult for, for a long time, if something like, if I woke up and something was wrong, I can call my dog and be like, Hey, Hey, does, does, does she have a, um, uh, any availability today? And they're like, no, we'll squeeze you in though. Don't worry about it. Just come on in at this time. And, and now like I hear people like they, they, they're like, checking for cancer and stuff they're like okay we can't get you in until like two and a half months from now and and i remember like when i was growing up in church like that was the whole thing about um like nationalized medicines like you can't do that because you know in canada and england and stuff like they have you know you, you'll be diagnosed with a tumor and then they won't be able to see you for a year because of the wait times and i i don't know if any of that is true but i'm like okay well we're now keeping up with that if if that is you know, where we're having to wait very long times to get the necessary care that we need. Like something has to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's move on to Pat. Pat Cooper was our second guest. What was your takeaway from Pat? So this is where I started to see like, oh, there's a pattern here. So my biggest takeaway from Pat was how we have this designed path that we're supposed to take, you know, go into school, um, graduate high school, go to college at 18. You're not, you're not old enough to drink or, or anything like that, but, you know, pick what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Um, and they even talk about how like the brain's not fully developed at that point and stuff, but you need to know what your life is going to be about at that point. And, and it just wasn't going right for him. So he left and then working at, was it Target that he was working at or something like that? Like, but saw an ad on like a bulletin board in the employees area. And, and that led him to what he loves doing, you know, starting to write and getting into marketing and stuff. Then he went back to school, you know? Yeah. So again, the path that was, that we're supposed to walk, that we're told to walk, wasn't good enough for him. And so he found his own way. And, and I wonder how he would be like, what his personality would be if he went the, the traditional way, because he was the most laid back down to earth, humble, friendly, kind, easy to talk to, you know? And then when he has a bad day, he goes to Disney or goes to universal and just chills out. Like that is, that is so cool. You know, I, I thought that was the, the coolest thing. Yeah. Again, that sort of story of following your gut, like he saw that ad and it would have been so easy for him to talk himself out of like, oh, I don't really know what would look good. Why, why do I think I'm a better marketer than these people who have an education or why do I, right? But he did yeah. it. He was like, no, wait, there's something here. And he followed it. And I love that. Yeah. I'll say that I have a tendency to fall in love with everybody. I meet somebody and I'm like, oh my God, you're my favorite person, right? Like it's just <laughs> part of human nature. And it seems like the more vulnerable and authentic they are, the more that I sort of feel, feel that heart, you know, swelling. And that's really what I felt about Pat. He was just so himself and yeah. so present and okay. I mean, he talked about his burnout and 
doing answering emails from his hospital bed and yeah. how he got over that. And he was just so lovely to spend time with. And there's that saying, when it says something like, you know, when we're ourselves, we give people permission to be themselves. And all these sayings are like so rote that we just hear them all the time and we don't really like integrate them. But when you really think about that, that is what he embodied to me. He was so comfortable with who he was. I felt comfortable and relaxed and it made it easier for me to be me because he was him. And what a friggin' gift. Yeah. Yeah, the, so right because there was there was just something like I f- like he's the type of person that you like even if you just met him someplace you can sit down and talk to him for hours. Yeah, and and the cool thing was too is like even though he was a marketer he he wasn't he's not playing the marketer character. You know what yeah. I mean? There was no selling. There was no you got to do this. There, he was just. Hey, this is just, you know what I mean? And I think that's what welcomes people in. And and like he was talking about being an active listener, like, you know, like in meetings, people are like, you're not talking to me. Like, I'm not, I'm listening. You know, how am I going to not listen to you and then do the marketing that you need? You know, like, it's not my time to talk, you know? And there's, I think a class of marketers out there now that are like, you shut up and I'm going to tell you what you need. And then you give me all your money for it, you know? Um, and he was just the, like he said, disrupt as a marketer, his, his job is to disrupt the marketplace. And I'm like that, that is a disruption I can get behind. Yes. And I love that you brought up what I would say. He is an ethical marketer, right? Because, um, Tad Hargrove marketing for hipsy hippies talks about, the fabric of our culture between buyer and seller, right? Between customer and company and how there's been so much unethical practice that this whole fabric is broken down in our society and how every person who chooses to operate in an ethical way is rebuilding not only their life and their relationships, but this fabric of our culture and that is currently broken, (laughs) (laughs) because there's no trust in it. And so, yeah, I'm so glad you said that because Pat is certainly doing that work and rebuilding sort of the moral fibers of the marketing world, which has kind of gotten really gross. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw, I just saw a commercial last night. I think it was for like Hilton hotels and everybody in the commercial was, was Paris Hilton, Um, you know, pink blonde hair. And I'm like, and the whole, I guess the whole idea, I muted it, but like this whole idea is like, go there and you feel like she, you know, I'm like, I don't want to feel like she would. Yeah. I, I want to be me. Like, and that's the thing that all this marketing does is they dangle this um, idea of a lifestyle in front of people. And then if you don't have this, then you, there's something wrong with you. Yes. And it's like, no, man. I mean, we've lost the individual individuality of of being our own human within a community, you know? And I, and I think I, even maybe from like the industrial revolution or anything, like we, we've been from, from the elites down, you know, like the elites are in a different class, but from them down, you know, we're more as part, like parts of an assembly line, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that is destroying our, our mental health. That's not the way we're supposed to live. Yeah. I know. I think it's funny when people say things like, well, you know, where'd all this, you know, gender questioning come from? Or how come so many people are diagnosed with ADHD or this is new? And you're like, well, actually, you know, if you had ADHD, you were just the one that was like the gatherer who got to go out and do all this crazy stuff because you couldn't sit still. There was a place for you in society. And so we didn't have to label you as bad, wrong, or not fitting in because it was okay. We had this. And then, like you said, society got really narrowed down for a while, these cogs in a machine. And now we're sort of coming back out of that again and going like, Hey, guess what? We're different. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that's what makes me not not to jump ahead, but so hopeful for the future. Cause we're in, we're in scary times. And of course, since everything is big, big business news is not actually giving the news. It's a form of entertainment now, you know, it's like a fear mongering type entertainment, but there are, things like like these changes they even talked about like the younger generations millennials and and down they want to buy from companies that are doing something you know beside like there was some there was some um i think sneaker company that started online and stuff and then every time you bought a pair they would send a pair to a impoverished country to give to some kid that that didn't have shoes you know something like that these younger kids want to use places like that you know um and and that is such a a hopeful thing because unfortunately the the best way to to vote and to 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 give your opinion is be since we're a capitalistic society through money you know and when these big businesses start taking a hit you know because the money is going to the smaller moral ethical people you know that that's going to be a good thing change change will hopefully roll upwards (laughs) yeah but you're absolutely right. That's how we have control of it as the people is voting with our dollars. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next we met with Chris Boone. Uh, Bean. Bean. Chris Bean. Yes. I listen to his stuff every day now, like his little Instagram. Again, yeah. I with him. What a great guy. And... I think what, I mean, there's so many takeaways, but I think my biggest one was I right now am trying to learn how to be more in my body and slower and more articulate and present with everything because my natural way of being is passionate and big energy and fast. And I love all those aspects of myself but I'm trying to become a little bit more balanced. And so being around Chris, he embodies all that balance. And I'm sure it's from a lifetime of practicing martial arts, but it inspired me. Yeah. 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 And I like what you said too, about, about his uh, watching his stuff, like on, on um, Instagram, like it always comes up for me and like that, how he says, hello, I like, hello champion, you know? And Again, like if I didn't know him, you know, if we didn't sit down and talk to him for like an hour, I, I probably would be like, oh, whatever. You just, just, but that's who he is. You know, that's how he sees the world. Um, he's, he's somebody that practices what he preaches and it's so cool. And I, I noticed that too. Um, even like when we work on editing this stuff, I'm always beating myself up because even like with you, 
when when you talk you you like move you, you, a lot of hand movements and stuff and i'm just like i feel almost like like steven like hawking i'm just like i can't move i'm just stuck in this chair and i'm like yeah and the only thing that moves is my head but i'm so locked up in my body like in the reverse of like what you were like the passion and stuff i'm so reserved even though i have that passion in me like I want to get more like that. And again, like, like you were talking about, like the martial arts, I mean, that is such a great way to, to learn how to get into your body and, and to use it and like, have it be a part of you again. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I really liked about him was he had such a clear kind of nonchalant relationship with failure. Like failure is something that happens to me. It's not me. Like it's no big deal. Like, yeah, of course, failure. Like it just seemed so casual, his relationship with, with failure. It was so beautiful. And again, something I admired and thought, I want my relationship with failure to be that casual. Yeah. Yeah. It made, cause that, that part with it made me think about all the things that I've never done because it wasn't, I, I didn't know how to be, have it be perfect on the first attempt. And, and the, the perfection too, is something that like my mind creates that is so, I mean, it's out of reach, you know, like if I'm going to do a course or something, it needs to be like Hollywood type production. You know what I mean? Like avatar level, um, special effects, like every, and so I set up a standard that I can never meet. And so therefore I, I don't do anything. And he's just like, no, that's how you learn you know, and it, and it's so true and it's so basic, but we're all like beat up by that whole thing because we don't practice it. It's again, it's such a common thing. Yeah. I talk a lot about how there's three ways to know something you can mentally understand it. You can emotionally go like, ah, I get it. Or your body knows it. It's your MO. You practice it every day. And that's how I feel like his relationship with perfection and failure was. These are things that I know as a mental construct that failure doesn't keep me back. I've pulled it down enough to be like, oh, I get it. I'm practicing it. And I see myself moving forward faster when I just go and do it. And I'm not afraid of failure. Is it my MO yet? Nope. I'm still wrestling it. I'm up here (laughs) at the emotional stage. And so to meet somebody who has fully done all three stages of learning and now it's their MO to just have this casual relationship, like, yeah, I get on and record a video every day. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. I just do it. Yeah. Is there not even the struggle of perfection? Yeah. Fully admire that. Oh, yeah. I I remember hearing a story. I I, want to say it was the lady that invented Spanx. I saw her and her husband talking on on this thing. Um, and I think she was talking about how when growing up, her father at, at dinner would always ask, what did you fail at this week? Hmm. And it was, it was like in a good way. Like he wanted to know the story. They would laugh about it. They would talk about what they learned, how they moved past it. But so he didn't stigmatize failure you know, um, and he didn't like elevate perfection. Like, so he, he taught them at a young age, a great relationship with failure. And then she went through all these failures and then 
landed on this on this um on this um one one um I want to say project, but that's product. <laughs> Jeez. And and then her life just changed completely. But if it wasn't for that relationship for failure, like where would she be? What a beautiful gift to give your children. Oh yeah. Yeah. But how many times like we were talking about um with uh with Angela, you know, about that's what we're like, most of us were taught, like, you know, do it right. If you don't do it right, you, you know, that's, that's bad. Rip everything up, throw it away, do it again and do it right this time. You're not paying attention. You're not full, whatever it is, you know? So we learn to, to fear failure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy. I want to mention that both Chris and Angela, who we're going to talk to you about, have their own podcast. I'll link them in the show notes because I'm sure they're both going to be wildly successful because yeah. I know how great these people are. Yeah. My takeaway from um, Angela was really what she had to say about how grief and loss and trauma never goes away. There's no getting rid of it. There is developing a healthy relationship with it. Yeah. Man, that difference is so profound. And after our podcast with her, I sat down and journaled for a bit and um, smoked some weed and thought thoughts as I do. And just thought, how would that change the areas where I'm thinking, where I'm struggling with healing if I wasn't trying to get it done and heal? But I just let it be a part of me and developed a peaceful relationship with it. Yeah. I, ever since we recorded with Angela, I have not gotten that out of my head on a daily, like there, there's a few things where I can look back and it's so imprinted in my memory where I learned something amazing that changed my life. And I felt that when, like when Angela said grief has no destination, there's not a finish line to it. That was one of those moments. Um, and, and like you said, grief, loss, trauma, and where, where my mind went to also was just life itself. You know, we've been led to believe that we're always, we have to climb the corporate ladder. You know, we have to move forward. We have to be productive. Every 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 way that we talk about life is in some way moving forward as if there is some type of finish line that we have to get to that we can then turn around and say, my life was good. But there is no destination to life. You know, there, there's there's just a being. And and you do what you what you do. And if you if if after a while you don't like it, then do something else. You know, and and I, I and that's where I, I really saw like that theme, like where everybody that we've talked to have kind of blazed their own trail. Um, and then even with Angela, I've I've never, I mean, from grief counselors, I haven't heard stuff like this. From chaplains, I have not heard stuff like that. And that just blew my mind. And I started to really focus on how present I am. And I've realized that my life is lived in my head, like this constant narrative 
I can't be doing doing dishes. I'm thinking about something completely separate. You know, if I'm like just doing media, like everyday thing, making the bed, folding lawn, like my brain is off in its own world doing something and I'm not present. And I always thought like that was cool. Like I'm using my imagination, like daydream, which is great. But when your life is all of that constantly, you're not just being, you're not experiencing life. And there's something magical in that. And that, that just like, that changed my perspective on, on so much stuff. Like it's incredible. I think that piece you just said is a great experiment. So I talk a lot about experiments. It's how I work with my clients. Do this one thing for a day, a week, six months, however long, and then look at your results. Is it worth yeah. keeping? Is it not right? Like this applying the scientific method to life is a very effective way to make changes. And when I did an experiment where every time I noticed myself thinking I brought to the present, so washing dishes, like, oh, this water is so warm and nice. And like, oh, look at the bubbles. And oh, that feels good. And oh, the texture of this plate, right? Like really just trying to focus on the now. There was so much joy, just like hidden in the now that you just unlock. And yes. I don't even understand it. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the funny thing, like I've realized how far behind I am too on this because when I do it, so last night I was doing the dishes and and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be present. I, I just want to focus on what I'm doing and let everything else fall away. And so what I what I ended up realizing I was doing is I was focusing on focusing on being present, <laughs> which means I'm not present. You know, so at any point, like, and I'm like, gee, like, it's almost like, what, what, what was that movie where they keep going into the dreams, like Inception or something? Like I was yeah. going Inception <laughs> with my focus, like how deep in this am I, you know, focusing on, focusing on, focusing on, you know, like just, so when you are, just you are, there's not a question in your head of, am I being present? Am I doing it right? You know, like at that point you're not. And I'm like, wow, this is so basic but so hard to do because of the way, you know, society has, has evolved. We're not supposed to do that. Yes. You know, we're not supposed to be present. Yep. And I think like anything, it's a practice and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I notice the more I practice it, there'll be little moments where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I was just yes. in, in the present moment. I was playing with my cat the other day and it was like, I woke up almost. And I realized I was just in this moment feeling as much joy as my little kitty going after, you know, the little stick tail thing. And we were both present in the moment and it was so beautiful. And I don't know if it lasted one second or 30 seconds. Yep. But I experienced it. That to me, that, that is a feeling that I've learned to chase, which I think is a detriment, um, you know, because again, if you're always trying to get there, you're not doing it, but that that's a feel like that I want, Yeah. you know, just losing myself in, in the stuff that I'm doing where there's no fear, there's no, and all that fear comes from expectations of, of perfection, um, comparison, judging myself, you know, where, where I lose all of that stuff and just accept 
you know, where all that stuff goes away and it's just, no, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And, and that's good enough. Yeah. I think that this is one of the things that appropriate intentional drug use helps with, whether it's weed, mushrooms, you know, uh, I've used MDMA. Like if you use something responsibly that can bring you into the present in that way, it's like that part of your brain is paved. And so you go, oh, now I know what this feels like. And it helps you reroute that brain by using this substance. You were talking about it the last time we did a episode on mushrooms. You said, I love this medicine because my self-judgment goes away. Well, yeah, that's a nice experience to have in the moment. But what's actually happening is your brain is rewiring so that you judge yourself less when you're not on the medicine. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, um, so I, I realized recently, like, so when I first started um, experimenting with psilocybin, I would I would take small doses, not necessarily a microdose, but not like a major thing, um, maybe like once a week, you know, um, to to sort of get to that mind mind space. And now I'm like, I'll do it like once a month, and I'll do like a major dose, and it's it's an intentional thing. Where, you know, unfortunately, like in the winter, like I'm not a big cold weather hiker, um, but I saw a video where a guy was talking about meditation while on um, a big dose of mushrooms. And so I'll, I'll go in my room, go dark again, you know, put like a mask over my eyes and um, and just and just lay there for a couple of hours and just let my let the medicine do what, it, what it's going to do. And, and the stuff that comes up is amazing, but I don't need it as much you know, and I'm progressing more like in overcoming the obstacles that are holding me back more, you know, which is such a great thing. Even, even cannabis, like I, I don't smoke it as much as I, I did when I first started, you know, because of all that rewiring that's going on. So yeah, that, that is very, very true. Um, and there's been so many books that I've read that talk about exactly that. Yeah. And I find, and I know that a lot of friends and sort of people in my environment use it for that. So, you know, they could not use it for a year and then, you know, something's coming up with a, a parent or a child or a spouse and they say, okay, I'm going to, you know, do this once a week now, or I'm going to microdose every day for three months, or I'm going to write whatever they're, the way that they use it is to get over and wrestle this clog, this big log that's coming down the river, Right. And how wise to be intentional about those things. Yes. Yeah. Instead of reactionary. Yes. And this is actually one reason why I have a lot of hope for the future, because I know that there's so much science and data about how when humans started to use psychedelics and drug use, this huge explosion in evolution and now that we are making that okay again and embracing it as part of our humanity and our healing and our growing, we can have another huge explosion of evolving as humans. That makes me feel very excited. Yes. I, oh, I'm so glad you said that. So I, I remember um, they, they don't know what caused the last evolution in our brain, you know, like when the frontal lobe uh, evolved. Um, and I heard when I was in um, school in one of my anthropology classes, they were talking about 
400,000 years ago, there was this new invention called cooking, <laughs> you know, where they started using fire to cook the meat. And that what that allowed was for a higher fat intake, mm -hmm. you know, because now they can start eating more of the fat as well. And, and that's what I had heard sort of kicked off that evolution. But I heard recently, I think it was on Joe Rogan, him and Post Malone were talking about mushrooms. And there, there is a theory out there um, that it was mushrooms that spurred this whole, it was hallucinogenics that spurred that last evolution because of all the benefits they find it. They find that happen in your brain, you know? Um, and it's such a cool thing too, because like the more you learn about that stuff, mushrooms come from the mycelium network. The mycelium network is sort of the consciousness of nature. You know, it's how nature communicates with, with each other. And I'm like, you get to tap into the nature, like the wisdom of the earth. And then when you think about like, where did the earth come from? Well, it came from all this stuff, which of course we are too, but it came from the universe coming together and forming this planet, which formed life. Like, so basically we get to tap into the consciousness of the universe with this stuff. And it's just the most amazing thing. And I don't think it's coincidental that one of the side effects of these stuff is feeling love, peace, connection, um, introspection, like all of that stuff, you, you know, like when you look at a lot of the pharmaceuticals, the side effects are, you know, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, mood swings, all, all this stuff, you know, and, and then over here, the side effects are like, you may experience loving everybody for no reason at all, you know? <laughs> and I even saw a thing like too, I, I think, I forgot what I was watching, but they talked about, it's not like a lustful type thing, you know, where it's going to drive you to just like want to have sex or something like that. Like it's love, you know, it's just wanting to connect with people on, on a, on a great way, you know, in a great way. It's, it's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good segue to the one last thing that I wanted to say about Angela and it's this, a lot of my life I lived just big and open-hearted. Like I said, I love falling in love with people. I love trusting people. And I was very lucky because the people who I was around wanted me to win, right? For the most part, I surrounded myself with good people. And then this last little part of my life, this chapter where I kind of, you know, was an executive director and was dealing with local politics, everybody made me feel wrong for that. Like, well, you can't just be, right? Like it was, you're weird, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you're not playing the game. You don't fit in, you know, you have to have better boundaries. All this just, I even had uh, my board director tell me one time, like, you're too nice to people. Like it makes them feel weird. And it made me so sad because I didn't want to live with less of my heart out there. Like I like having my heart on my sleeve. And when we did that podcast, all three of us showed up with a desire to connect, like yeah. our hearts on our sleeves. And it made a difference. By the time that was over, I felt about her like, I'll do anything for you. You're in trouble. I'll fly to where you are. Like it was so deep and so connecting. And so I, I should tell her this. I'm really grateful because it made me realize, no, there is power to stay in open hearted. I was right. All these other people weren't right. I do get to stay like this. There is a reason to stay like this. So 
she personally really helped me with, I guess, a limiting belief that I was struggling with around how okay is it to live open-hearted? It is so, this is why like, I'm amazed at how how similar we both are, even though we just met on TikTok and, you know, just a couple of strangers. Um, but I, I've always been the same way and I've always gotten the same reaction. You know, even like I worked in the prisons for, for um, a while before I was injured and I like constantly told I'm too soft, I'm too soft, I'm too soft. And I'm like, no. Like my job gets done. I don't have issues on my unit. Um, I get respect from the officers. I get um, treated well from the inmates themselves, you know, but because they, there, there's this thing that's out there and I've seen a lot of, there's actually a course out there that you can get on how to stop being the nice guy and reclaim your masculinity. I'm like, why is it not masculine to be nice? You know, um, but we've, we've now stigmatized nice. And it bothers me so much, you know, and, and I finally just like gotten to the point where like, no, I don't care how people treat me. I'm going to be nice to them. You know, it doesn't mean I'm going to get walked over. doesn't mean I'm not going to have boundaries. doesn't mean if somebody comes after me, I'm not going to like defend myself, you know, but if somebody starts like cussing me out, whatever, that's not my issue. I don't have to defend myself against that. I can, I'm still going to be nice because that's who I am and I'm not going to change myself because then that makes that person in charge of me. Yeah, I'm not going to be another person because somebody else is dealing with their own hurt, their own pain, or they're just an asshole. Like you have every right to be that. And I have every right to be who I am. Yes. And I think that it's, staying connected to that network that you were talking about where if I'm connected to the universe and I understand how I'm connected to all the trees and I have these experiences of being that way, when someone cuts me off on the road, eh, like that doesn't even matter. That's such a small, tiny thing when there's this vastness of love and connection and everything happening over here. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me and Sandy once we were driving and a guy cut us off. He ran a red light, tried to turn on on a, a on ramp on the highway and we were going straight. I had to slam on my brakes and stuff. The guy had to slam on his brakes because I was about to T-bone him. And then he gave me the finger. And like now normally I would have then just drove right into his car, you know, something like that or gotten out and it would have been, but I just started laughing. You know, this guy is so on edge whether it's misery or something's going on that's like syrup whatever but he's so on edge that he runs a red light cuts me off and then blames me you know and i'm i'm just thinking wow what like what a miserable way to be and it made me so happy i don't have to be like that and that's so that i wasn't laughing like at him it was just like this thing of like, I don't have to be like you. And that makes me happy. You know, and so freedom, like you said, that's yeah. complete, complete. Yeah. complete. Like, I don't know what, when that started, but like, we, we don't allow people to be who they are. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we look at things, these little annoyances and love has become transactional. Like if you don't do A, B, C, and D, I am not going to be kind to you because you're a jerk, whether it's because you talk too much or you have all these other habits that I don't like, or, or, you know, you drink and I think alcohol is made in hell or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just let people be who they are. Yes. Like that's love. Love is not transactional. You know, love, love is acceptance. You know what I mean? It's it's giving without expectation. You know, love is like all that stuff. I even did a, like a video on that, like with me and Sandy and somebody had commented like, um, like this, this is, this is an, um, you're describing an unhealthy relationship. This is wrong. Like, dude, no, because, but because we take it to the extreme. I'm not talking about Sandy comes home and starts like stabbing me with a knife that I'm like, I accept this, you know, <laughs> like, no, if, if, if she does something that's making me upset, like I, I can tell her without it becoming a fight, you know, um, I mean, just the other day I was like, man, you, you, you feel like you have this like aura of hatred coming. Like she had a rough day at work. I'm like, there's just like this. Like if there was like, if I could see into like the beyond, there would be this black cloud coming off you right now. And she's like, I don't mean to, and I'm like, it's, it's okay. But like, are you all right? You know? So instead of taking it personal, how are you treating me like this? Like it, it created a conversation we had and, and then like, you know, we're just hugging each other. She cried a little bit because she had to let that stuff out. And, and I just like held her and everything. And then our dog has to come over, you know, and it became a funny thing. Cause like, yeah, Zoe, I can't hug Sandy without Zoe being like, oh, it's hug time. Let's go. You know, and then she'll, <laughs> she comes over and, and like steps right between us. And we both have to like scratch her and stuff. Um, and it became a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's not a personal thing. Like, I don't get that. Yeah. You reminded me of that story. You probably know it better than I do about a tribe where when everybody's born, they have a particular birth song that this tribe sings And then anytime that person gets out of whack or does something, you know, hateful or weird, the tribe comes around them and sings their song to them again, just to remind them of who they are. And that's sort of what I heard you saying with Sandy. You're like, you're not this black cloud. I can just love you and remind you that you're love. I'm love. Everything's okay. Like we're okay. And help her transition out of that versus you know, having a response to it and then you attack and then she attacks back and then you you go down that spiral. Yeah. And that was one of the best things because I was just working on like adding it all that because we're going to launch that one today. And and you had talked about red and white roses that are that are planted next to each other and how they begin to take on. So you have like these these pink roses that that come from that. And that that's another thing that has stuck with me because like that, I mean, that is true. We start, we begin to take on the characteristics of those we're on the most. And it made me think like, what characteristics do I want Sandy to take from me? You know, because for a long time, she had become a very angry person where, where before when I first met her, she was very playful, very spirited, fun loving. And then she became, because she took on those characteristics for me. And it made me think like, I have a responsibility to be the person that I want to be so that the people that are near me take on the characteristics that I want to see in them. Mm, beautiful. You know, I don't want to see like people just gossiping and, 
like stabbing other people in the back and then being nice to them to their face and like all that just sort of normal stuff that happens. I want them to be aligned with themselves, to be pure, to be kind, um, to be good, to be loving, to experience love beyond the transactional aspect that, that, that it's become today. Like I want good for people. So I need to be that person that if they're near me, they, that those characteristics leach into their lives as well. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Mm. All right. So we have one more to talk about and that's Sin, who we met with last week, who was such a delightful person. Yeah. After um, the episode, I went to my husband and I said, you know, this woman described this little town in Mexico. This sounds really nice. There's a lot of expats <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on our radar in case we end up having to leave. <laughs> But she was delightful. And my biggest takeaway from her, she so eloquently described why it's important to give names to the voices in your head and to understand their agendas and their fears and where they're coming from. And she laughed and said, I don't have multiple personality disorder. <laughs> which we don't, right? But most of us have this round table of voices and we're not even aware of it. Right. And then we start going, oh wait, this voice is my inner two-year-old and this one's my inner warrior and this one's my, whatever the different pieces are. And then we can start to work with them because we understand them. And the way she described that journey for herself and the impact that it had on her life, I thought was really profound. That that was so cool to me. Um, like talking about the different chairs and 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 then each one representing a different characteristic. And it's funny too, because like we see that all over the like Disney even did or Pixar did a movie, you know, on all the different emotions or as different characters. And I'm like, so we we kind of know that, but we don't know it, you know. And and like you said, she she explained it so beautifully. And the biggest thing for me was she was living in LA, you know, um, and, and working. So she was, she was like there doing it and saw that there was no joy, no peace. And so she moved to, like you said, to this little town in Mexico with the cobblestone streets, you know, where everybody knows everybody. And, 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 and that's where she has found like the peace. So like, to me, she's shown that, you know, the the concept of the american dream of what it is today you know get rich get famous and all that stuff that 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 that's not worth what people think it is mm -hmm. you know not now you just have the same issues the same problems but you just have a lot of money to 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 cope with them with or whatever you know or to distract yourself from them with yeah and again, like you said, all of our guests share this similar trait where they were courageous enough to play by their own rules. Yeah. And that's when they found peace, joy, fulfillment. Yeah. Pretty powerful message. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's what inspired me kind of like, you know what? I'm I'm doing this. Yeah. Whether it's stupid or not, whether it comes out the way I'm imagining it or not, I'm doing it. Like it, it's not even a, a question. And the cool thing too is learning about like the frontal lobe that I've been like geeking out with on on TikTok and stuff. 
that's one of the ways that we activate our frontal lobe, like setting an attention and no matter what obstacles are in our way, not letting anything stop ourselves, stop, stop us, you know, so not allowing our feelings like, no, I'm too tired to work out today or whatever, or, you know, my, my back hurts just the tiniest bit. And that's the one excuse my brain needs to be like, you don't know how to do it today, you know, but having that, that intention where no matter what you step through like that, when they, when they do the brain scans, like your, your frontal lobe is light, light, light lit up lit light it up like a christmas tree it's bright um yeah it's so yeah that's it's so amazing like how healthy that is because that's where we want to be thinking from yes i know this is another sort of glib cliched thing but it's so true is that discipline like the ability to ignore your thoughts and do what you really want most is the strongest form of self-love yeah. And that's so true. And I like to think about it because I like to envision who am I going to be in five years? Not only just where am I going to be, but what kind of person will I have to be to embody that dream of being a famous podcaster or whatever it is? Because the Mindy in that dream has different beliefs, thinks different thoughts, has different habits. And so I feel a connection to future Mindy where she's like, look, bitch, are you going to do this stuff for us or not? Like, come on, like, yeah, it's going to take us for you to show up every day. Right. And so there's a bit of this sort of like, all right, I got to have my own back. Yeah. I gotta make myself do this even when I don't want to do it. And that feels there's a certain sort of grounding and confidence in that feeling where you're like, yeah, I've got my own back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is so that, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Um, thinking about like that person you want to be and, and what are the characteristics that make up that person? And, and cause that that's, it's not a fake until you make it, you know, because then you're, you are, you're admitting like, no, I'm not this person. I'm just faking. And so you're going to fake it. That's the focusing on focusing on being present, you know, but it's stepping into that. Like, I'm going to embody this now. I'm confident now. You know, because there's no reason why we shouldn't be mm -hmm. besides our own self-judgment or maybe what other people have told us or so something like that, you know, but yeah, that, that is, there's, there's a power in that. That is amazing. Yeah. I used it yesterday so I can get really focused. I have uh, I, autism, so I call them a-holes, right? I can go down an a-hole. So I decided to um, sort of upgrade all my videos on YouTube, put new thumbnails, make sure they all had chapters. And I was in a full a-hole yesterday down that route, just right on the computer. And my husband goes, hey, babe, do you want to go like work out and lift weights in the garage? And I'm like, no, no, I'm working. And then this little thought said, you know what? Future Mindy is balanced. Like you've identified that as a trait that you have to have to get where you want to go that doesn't just work 12 hours a day. And so I put down my computer, I smoked some weed and I went and lifted weights and I listened to Snoop Dogg and I felt great. That is awesome. And it was, and I, it was so much more powerful than working all day. So I'm grateful to my future self for being like, go on, go on, come on, get out. <laughs> yeah. And how, how amazing is that, 
like being good, not only to yourself, but to the person that you're, we're going to become. Yes. That that's and amazing. Honor in that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I think one of the things that gets sort of misrepresented, misrepresented when we talk about like serving and being there for people, it's not about denying yourself because if you're really going to be there for somebody, whether it's your future self or your husband or, you know, whatever, whoever it is, your kids, you have to first be there for yourself or you're not giving them a hundred percent. Yes. You know, I mean, even I heard somebody say, like, when it comes to love and relationships, we generally want other people to give to us what we can't give to ourselves. You know, because a lot of us walk around like we can't stand ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm like, Sandy, love me. Mm-hmm. But I can have everybody in the world line up and tell, tell, tell me why they love me, why I'm so amazing. But because my belief system is I suck. I won't believe any of it, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like I'll never be able to trust Sandy that, you know, that she actually loves me. I'm always going to wonder like, why, what's wrong with you? You know, like, because look at me, I'm not worthy of that, you know? And so, yeah, to, to give that first to ourselves, mm-hmm. that's where we start to get into being able to treat people like really in, in in the right way like yeah that's just incredible yeah and i would say that is the door to heal ourselves more so for example because of my childhood i had huge abandonment issues so anytime my husband and i would fight i'd be like on the computer looking for rentals i'm moving out this is over not because I wanted it to be over, but because people abandoned me when I was a child. So I think everybody's going to abandon me. I played that out just unconsciously for a lot of, but then I realized my part, oh, this is my child being afraid. Mm. And then when it was triggered in that moment, I could take the time to figure out what was really going on and heal that so that it doesn't show up in my marriage anymore. And like, I mean, this is like, the last year or two that it's not showing up anymore. So we had 10 years of my little kid freaking out every yeah. time we got home. and yeah. making things worse because she would run the show and then she would say all sorts of shit that wasn't very nice to say. Right, right, yeah. So when we see those, we have the opportunity to give it to ourselves to love another and also to become more whole, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, um, when was it? Saturday, maybe Sunday. I was, uh, outside doing my, my nightly pipe, um, before, before bed. And, um, and I started having like anxiety and then like, like my chest started to hurt. Like, so it started to like turn more into like a panic attack and I was trying to figure out like what it was from and being able like learning all this stuff that I did, I was like, okay, so I, I gotta, I gotta think through again the frontal lobe again, um, and and that brings us focus, right? So every time my mind went off on a distraction, I'm like, all right, this is reactionary type stuff that's going on. So so just bring the focus in. It's not a bad thing. Don't not gonna judge myself. But what I got to was so growing up in in Christianity, you know, first off, you're, you're 
wrong just because you are you. You know, you're you're innately um, sinful and wicked, and you want to do bad things. And I'm, and I was I never understood that because I didn't want to do bad things, but I believed that I was just a horrible person, a wicked person that needed to burn in hell for all of eternity just because I am me. So when you take on that belief at five years old or six years old, you know, like it's going to shape you in a way. But then the churches that I went to always taught parents that your kids are looking to get over on you and they're looking to actively sin every chance they get. So you need to be on them. They're not your, they're not your friends. They're not your, um, they're not like the the little angels are going, you know, they're they are wicked, sinful thing, you know. So we were are then sort of stigmatized even more, you know, where everything was always about like your kids are trying in this moment to to do something wicked. So today at 48, everything that I go to do, whether it's a video. Um, saying something, a text, how many times, like I'll text somebody and, and I won't hear back. And I'm like, oh my God, are they upset with me? Like what's going, because like that deeply encoded belief system is I am wrong always. And I was able to, to like recognize that. And when I did, everything just melted away, you know, um, and I like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm a, I'm a good dude. Like, like Angela said, I'm freaking awesome. You know, um, I'm a good person. Like, yeah, I make mistakes and stuff like that, but who doesn't like, like you said, again, that, that failure issue. So yeah, that was, that was such a, a massive thing that I've learned from all of these people. Like it's okay to make your own way, to be who you are and to shed all the crap that we're supposed to do and just do what we want to do. I love everything you said and I really want to highlight, I know there's some good things that have come out of, you and I both agree being raised in the Christian environment but when I hear you talking about those belief systems that I grew up in too, right? All my righteousness are filthy rags. I did Awanas, oh. I memorized Bible verses, all the things, right? And it's so interesting to listen to you talk because I have the exact same belief system. So I go to text somebody and I'm like, oh, I'm a burden. They're going to get this text and be like, Ugh, Mindy, now I have to text her back, right? Like yeah, that yeah. I'm innately not good enough. Yeah. And I think that there's just, um, it's worth calling out because I think there's a lot of recovering Christians that have similar struggles from the negatives of, um, you know, the childhood of being raised in that religion and it's okay. And we can all help each other. <laughs> and there is more love and acceptance out there outside of that dogma. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the, the people that we've had on, you know, Justin, is he like from Canada or something like that? I'm not sure. I think he was in New York when we talked to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. New York, he was, he was, he was. Um, oh, so we had Pat down in Florida, um, I think Tennessee, Mexico. Um, ah. We've had people from all over 
that that share such similar mindsets. And, and I think that's one of the things that you talked about. Um, I, I can't remember it was with Sin or with Angela, but but with technology, I think it was with Angela. Yeah, with technology, we can find our people. Yes. You know, it's not, we don't have to be alone. And growing up like that, there's such, especially getting out of it, there is a feeling of being completely alone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, I, I lost all my friends because all my friends were church people. And then when I left, like, oh, you're turning your back on God, you're wicked. You can't talk to them. You can't, what is sup with them? You can't break bread with them, whatever, you know, all the, the stuff. Like, so there is a feeling of being alone, but you're not. There are so many people that are coming out of that and finding their own path in their own way. And there's a tribe out there that's like, I we get it, you know? So yeah, just find those people, man. <laughs> and I'd say- that's what you and I are really trying to build with this podcast. And we talk about a pod squad, right? And having people comment on us and asking us to talk about things and digest things and being guests on the show and really wanting to build, a, I guess, a space, virtual space where people can investigate together and know that they're not going to be judged. <laughs> that it's a safe place to be celebrated and to investigate and to really become the best human that we can in this human experience, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no reason that we should feel alone. I mean, there, there's reasons why people do feel alone, but, but if you're any, with anybody going through something, other people are going through similar things. Um, and it's like, like you had said, like, there's, there's no hierarchy to trauma. So there's, there's not like, oh, I haven't been through as much as this person, you know, or, and there's no thing like, you know, because of what I went through, I have your aunt. No, there's people that are there to just listen, like Pat talked about, to just listen and to be there and, and to empathize and just to hold you up when you can. Yeah. You know, and that's the beauty of a community that we're trying to build. I think it was Brene Brown that talked about, you know, um, people think like a relationship is, is I'm going to give a hundred percent. They're going to give a hundred percent. She's like, it's not it. So there's days like I'll come home and I'll tell my husband, I got 20% to give. And then he'll be like, all right, I got you. Like he'll, he'll pick up all the slack. You know, um, like what I was trying to do with Sandy, what she does to me, like on more days than I can count. You know, and that's the thing, like when you are not, whoever is out there, when you're not strong enough to stand, I want to be part of the foundation that will be there for you. I don't want to be a variable in someone's life. I want to be a constant, no matter how you treat me, whatever. I want to be a constant. I am going to be this person because this is who I am. Yeah, beautiful. You made me realize something else when you were talking and that's, given all the shows that we have had, all the episodes we've released, no one's ever given advice. Everybody has shared their story. Yeah. And look how much we have learned. Because when someone shares their story, I get to take the pieces, right, that are plugging into my experience and you get to take the pieces that are plugging into your experience. And it's not like, 
sin came on and said, okay, guys, you need to identify your pieces. And if you do these three things, then you're going to feel this way. And <laughs> yeah, I, I did not realize that's a good point. Though. I didn't yeah. realize it either until I heard you talking and I was like, wow, you're right there. Like it was just sharing and we were all just there for each other. Yeah. And that's even like, and I know you feel the same way with coaching. Like I'm not a coach because I've figured it out. And now I can tell you how to figure it out. Like, I hate those lives on, on TikTok where it'll say, I'm a life coach. Tell me a problem. I'll give you a solution. It doesn't work like that, you know? But having the honor of, of telling people, this is what I'm going through. I'm feeling anxiety. I have panic attacks. I get depressed. I have a hard time moving forward because I'm so like old limiting belief systems are still operating and in control, but this is what I'm doing, you know? And then maybe somebody can take a little bit of that and make it their own um, and then grow from there. Like there isn't one answer, you know, and being able to be a part of that, especially Finding someone like you randomly off of TikTok videos to be here, you know, um, where we're talking with people from all over the country, hopefully, you know, at some point, like all over the world, it's so freaking amazing. You know, we don't have to be trapped in this little, this is my area, but we can find our community from all over the world. And there's nothing that is more fulfilling to me than being a part of that. Yes. Yes. I agree. Okay, so let's wrap it up. And we, Keith and I want to wrap things up on sort of a positive note because it's important to us that after you leave a Chasing Thoughts episode, you feel uplifted. So this could be something silly or it could be something profound, but what sort of positive thing do you have, Keith? My dog is being uplifted right now. So just saying hi to someone outside. Um, it's so funny. So, all right, because I was thinking about this and I was like, all right, I want to find a story. I want to do something. My mind always went to a thing. And again, it's that argument, you know? So, so I'm going to like channel all the guests we had. I'm like, you know what? Doing it anyways, even if it's done. Um, I did find a cool story about like um, an 11,000 year old hunter gatherer wall that was built, but I'll save that for later. So- the thing that I've been loving that like just fills me with so much joy are dog videos on social media. <laughs> I I just saw this one where this lady for five days, she would hold a bone as if it was like a news, she was like a newscaster and she had two huskies in the snow and she was doing a newscast on the lost ball. So the ball got buried in the snow and the huskies were like out there looking for it. Five days later, there was a shocking turn of events where she found that one of her dogs, who she called the lead investigator, had found the ball and was hiding it in different spots. And so she filmed him burying the ball under all this snow. And that just made me so happy. So I was like, I want to put out. And if I don't know if you can put like links to stuff like in the comments or whatever, or even just on social media, like tag chasing thoughts in it. I want to like whatever your favorite animal videos are like those to me are just so 
so joyful, like to watch, you know, it's so much fun. I love it. And I love it because my share today is kind of similar. I love the creativity on the internet and I often use YouTube videos to change my mood. So if I'm like, or I get off a ugly meeting or something happens, right? My feelings aren't great. I can use YouTube to shift my vibration. So I would say listeners, not just dog videos, but any videos that make you feel great. A lot of mine, I'll be honest, are office bloopers from the show The Office. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> but today I wanted to share a song that I love. So the song is on YouTube. I will put the link. It's by Thomas Benjamin. And I'm just going to play about a minute and I'll kind of play us out. And then we'll stop the recording. So let me key it up here, guys. I've no more bucks to give. <laughs> My bucks have run dry. I've tried to call fuck shopping, but there's no bucks left to buy. I've no more bucks to give. No more bucks I've tried to get. I'm over my fuck budget tenor and now in fucking debt. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Chasing Thoughts podcast. Please support us by liking, subscribing, or leaving a review or comment. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest, we would love to explore life and what it means to be human with you. Please email us at chasingthoughtspodcast at gmail.com.